And I invite you to take your copy of Scripture this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And I'll begin reading for us in verse 15 and read through to chapter 4 verse 1. So Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to begin in verse 15. If you didn't bring your copy of Scripture this morning, you should find a copy of Scripture in the chair where you're seated or in one of the pews upstairs in the balcony, and you'll find our passage on page 981 and 982, 981 and 982. So Philippians chapter 3, and I'll begin reading for us in verse 15. The Apostle Paul writes, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Amen. This is God's Word. Well, as I mentioned, uh, we will have the opportunity later on in the service to lay hands on Kyle and Bethany Hubbard, who are sitting up here in the front, and uh, we will pray for them and commission them to serve as international missionaries. Uh, The Hubbards have been going through a process for some time to discern their own calling, walking with our elders through that process and discerning what the Lord is calling them to do and After we pray for them today and commission them, then in the days ahead, they will be moving to Vancouver, Canada, and Kyle will be pursuing a master's degree in linguistics. And then upon graduation, they plan to go with Wycliffe Bible translators to translate the scriptures into the languages of the world. And so we are so thankful for the Hubbards and for their love for the scriptures, love for the Lord, and desire to serve the Lord among the nations. And as I was thinking today about this commissioning service and thinking about you, Kyle and Bethany, I cannot imagine two tasks that are of more worth and value than the tasks that you are going to devote your lives to, namely the task one of continuing to raise your four girls to know and love the Lord, and then the task of translating the scriptures into the languages of those people who have never heard the Scriptures or don't have the Scriptures fully in their native tongue. And so what a wonderful, glorious work you guys will be committing your lives to. And we are so thankful today for the opportunity to set aside this time to recognize that and to pray for you and to commission you. In particular, as I was thinking about the work of Bible translation that lies ahead of you guys, I was reminded of a quote from Martin Luther As many of you know, Martin Luther was the central figure in the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, and the Lord used the Protestant Reformation to bring 
reform, to bring revival to the church, and really to change the world. And as Martin Luther was later reflecting on his role in the Protestant Reformation, he wrote these words. He wrote, quote, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's Word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And then while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my Philip and my Amsdorf, who were two of his friends, he says, the Word so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor did such damage to it. I did nothing, the word did it all, end of quote. And there we hear the voice of Martin Luther speaking of the power of God's word to reform and bring revival to the church and to literally change the world. And so we come back to this question, why, why do we believe in Bible translation? Why as a church are we committed to the scriptures being translated into the languages of the nations? Because we believe in the truthfulness and the authority and the power of God's word. We have witnessed the power of God's word in history and we have experienced the power of God's word in our own lives. And so Kyle And Bethany, we praise God and we are thankful to this work to which he is calling you and through partnership in the gospel, he is calling us as a church to the work of Bible translation. Now, as we've been studying Paul's letter to the Philippians, this is really a letter about gospel partnership. If you remember, the Apostle Paul, who was also a missionary, is writing a letter to the church in Philippi, and he is in gospel partnership with this church. So Paul actually originally planted this church, and now as the church has grown over the years, this church in Philippi has become a supporter, actually one of the primary supporters of the Apostle Paul in his own ongoing missionary endeavors. And so there's this gospel partnership between the two. And so this letter is is very applicable to the circumstances that we find ourselves in today as we as a church pray for and commission the Hubbards to be missionaries. And in this section, what we see is that Paul is admonishing and encouraging the church in Philippi to continue to be faithful to Christ and faithful to his mission. In these verses, we discover words of wisdom and hope for gospel partners. And I want us to focus on three words of wisdom and hope for gospel partners that we find in our text. The three words of wisdom and hope are pursue maturity. That's the first one. Secondly, follow good examples. And third, know who you are. And as you've already kind of seen through the introduction, hopefully this morning in the message... I intend, as we walk through this passage, to apply this word not only to the Hubbards, but to us as a congregation, and I trust that what Paul has to say here will be applicable to us all. So, first of all, the first word of wisdom and hope for gospel partners. First, pursue maturity. Look there in verses 15 and 16, and we read these words. The Apostle Paul writes, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. So, Paul says there in verse 15, think this way. And so, we naturally ask the question, what way? How should we think? Well, 
The central theme, and especially if you've been here for our series in Philippians, you will know this. The central theme of chapter 3 in Paul's letter to the Philippians is Paul's desire to know Christ. Okay, So if you go back to chapter 3, verse 8, Paul there writes, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then we see it again in chapter 3, verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is, this is the theme of Philippians chapter 3. And really it's the theme of all Paul's life. It is to know Christ in this life and in the life to come. And so now, having explored that theme, Paul then writes in verse 15, let those who are mature think this way. In other words, this should be the mindset, this should be the perspective of all mature Christians to set as their primary aim, their primary ambition in life to know Christ in this life and in the life to come. Paul says pursue that. Pursue that type of maturity. But not only does Paul say that, notice what he also says in verse 15. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Now, one of the things I want us to notice here is the remarkable wisdom and patience of the Apostle Paul. Paul here is calling the church to pursue maturity in Christ and at the same time, Paul recognizes that not all Christians are in the same place. Paul is pursuing us Paul is calling us all to be mature in Christ, but Paul recognizes that in the race of being a Christian, there are some who are not as far along as he is, and he allows a space for them, right? And he doesn't scold them here in these verses, but rather he encourages them, and he is confident in God's ongoing work in their lives. He says, listen, God will reveal this also to you. He speaks a word of encouragement, a word of confidence to them. So, so Paul makes a space for them, but notice in making a space for them and in being patient with them, Paul's patience is not indifference. Paul doesn't take the approach of, well, it doesn't really matter if you get it or not. You may get it, you may not get it, but it doesn't really matter in the end. No, rather, Paul is patient, but he is also confident and he's encouraging them to press on. If in anything you think otherwise... God will reveal this also to you. Now, the reason why I want us to see this in our text is because oftentimes it is the most faithful, it is the most eager, it is the most devoted who are the hardest on themselves. It is those, those Christians who know the Scriptures the best, who serve the Lord the most, who give the most, who devote their lives even to taking the gospel to the nations who are oftentimes the hardest on themselves. And sometimes as Christians, we just need to hear someone say, listen, God loves you and God's going to be patient with you and God's going to be faithful to you and he's going to see that he makes you all that he has created you and redeemed you to be. Paul here really 
in making this statement to the church in Philippi is reflecting the patience of God. As Paul encourages them and admonishes them and he speaks this word of of confidence over them, he is reflecting the character of God towards the Philippians and towards us this morning. You might remember Paul's words to young Timothy. Timothy was a pastor who was serving in Ephesus and Paul wrote these words to Timothy. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, here it is, with complete patience and teaching. And Paul's simply modeling that that exhortation now, the same advice that he gave to young Timothy. He is teaching, he is admonishing, he's correcting, and he is doing so with complete patience. You know, there was an illustration that I heard years ago that Matt Chandler, who's a Christian pastor, some of y'all know who he is, that he gave And uh, I think it's a great illustration. It's very fitting given that today is Mother's Day. He was describing God's disposition towards his children as they grow up and mature in Christ. And he was talking about the process that a child goes through. He was using this analogy of the process that a child goes through to learn to walk. And if you just imagine even the young families that were lined up here this morning... When one of those precious babies that we saw this morning begins to learn to walk, right? So they're going to start crawling first, and then they'll start pulling up on things, and then they'll start to try to take a step, and they'll fall. And at some point, they will take their first step, right? And then what's going to happen after that? Boom, they're probably going to hit the ground, right? So so they take the first step, and then they hit the ground, right? And when that happens... None of the mothers that were lined up along here this morning are going to grab that child and scold them. What's wrong with you? Why can't you get it? Right? No. When the child falls, the mother's going to grab that child up and hug them and celebrate and encourage them. And Yes, you did it. And then they're going to dust them off and help them try again. And listen, the point is, God loves us with that type of parental love, with that type of fatherly, motherly love. In particular, as this is Mother's Day, we can say that God loves us with that type of motherly care and protection and encouragement. Again, Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonica, he speaks this way of his love for the church. He says, we were gentle among you as a nursing mother cares and takes care of her own children. God is patient with us. Like a mother is patient with her children. And so, I hope, Kyle and Bethany, this is an encouragement to you. Because you are going to be embarking on a new mission. And as you embark on this new mission, I want you to remember that you don't have to have it all figured out right now. God will be patient with you. In fact, and I know you guys must already be experiencing this, there will be new strains and stresses that you experience in life, whether that's uh, your finances or even your walk with Christ or your marriage or with your children. And God will be patient with you as at times you feel like you're stumbling through these new experiences. Isn't it encouraging that Paul speaks this way to the church? 
And as you stumble your way through it, remember Paul's words to keep the main thing the main thing, to pursue Christ and to seek to know him above all other things. And God will be faithful to you. And we are confident, I am confident as a church, that he will continue to grow you and provide you with everything you need and to meet you at every point along the way. And my friends, this goes for us as a church as well, doesn't it? Because all of us are a work in progress. Every single one of us, me and you, our entire congregation. And we need to hear sometimes that, listen, as we are pursuing this Christian life, as we are running the race, and perhaps we're not as far along as we would hope we would be, that God loves us, that he is patient with us, and as we entrust ourselves to him, he is faithful to us. And he will shape us and form us and, and, and change our thinking so that we think his thoughts and we become more and more mature in Christ. So the first word of wisdom, the first word of hope for gospel partners is to pursue maturity. And as you do so, know that God will be faithful and patient to you to make you mature in Christ. The second word of wisdom and hope that we see here in our text this morning is to follow good examples. Follow good examples. Look there in our text and we see this in verse 17 through verse 19. There the Apostle Paul writes, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things." So here we see that Paul was an example to the church in Philippi. He says there in verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me. And notice this as well. Paul knew that the church in Philippi not only needed him as an example, but they needed other examples in their lives. Other examples that they could look to and follow. He says, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Who are some of those others that Paul has in mind? We don't know for sure. I'm sure there was a, a number of them, but in particular, we can imagine that it would be at least Timothy and Epaphroditus. You might remember earlier in the letter what Paul has to say about these men. In chapter 2, verse 20, speaking of Timothy, Paul said, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Or Epaphroditus, in chapter 2, verse 30, Paul said, He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. In other words, Paul would say, These are the type of men that I want you to look to as examples, and I want you to follow them as they follow the example of Christ, as they give themselves in service and love for others and for the church. And so Paul is saying here that we need, all of us need, godly examples in our lives if we are to mature and become who we are to be in Christ. I know that Kyle and Bethany, and one of the things I've really appreciated is that you have shared a number of times how much this church family has meant to you over the last several years. 
in your own spiritual growth and in understanding the blessing and benefit of a, a local, biblical, local church. And I just want to encourage you to keep seeking to find those examples to follow, in particular in the context of a local church. And I know that's your heart. I know that's your desire to do that. And that's, that's true for all of us. We all need to seek the example of other faithful Christians that we can model our lives after, that we can be encouraged by. And here's the reason why. Paul actually tells us in the text why we need this. Notice it in verse 18. Verse 17, he says, Imitate me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Here's the reason why, verse 18. For or because many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction and their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Here's what Paul says, just simply put. The reason why we need good spiritual examples in our lives is because we are often so surrounded by bad examples in our lives. And we are much more easily influenced than we often realize. Paul actually, you think about it in terms of a Paul caring for the church in a motherly way, Paul here is actually, Paul says, listen, I've given you this advice before and you may be tired of hearing it, but it's advice that you never need to stop hearing. Do you see how he says that in the text? I've told you this many times before, but I'm going to tell you again. You need to be careful about who and what you are influenced by. And we all need to hear that over and over and over again. I heard someone say one time that you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Think about that. You are the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. Now, that's not in the Bible, okay? And I doubt you can scientifically prove that, but I think it makes a good point that we are oftentimes far more easily influenced by others than we realize. And so it it demands the question, what or who is influencing us? In terms of social media, movies, peers, friends, are we benefiting from the influence of men and women whose true passion and aim in life is to know Christ and to love Christ and to serve Christ? Or are we languishing spiritually because of the influence of men and women who, like in verse 19, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame. And their mind is set on earthly things. This truly is a a warning for all of us. It's a warning for missionaries. You know, missionaries struggle with this as well. There are times where missionaries get isolated and discouraged on the mission field. And they can be more influenced by the values of the people that they are going to serve rather than influencing those whom they are going to serve. They can seek to drown their sorrows in unhealthy and excessive media and entertainment consumption. And they can lose their way. 
That's why Paul, I think, would say here to any missionary, be careful. He says it to the church in Philippi. I think he would say it to any missionary. Be careful. Put before yourself examples that you can follow. Go to the scriptures. There's many there. There's the example of the apostle Paul. There's many other great examples. I think Paul might point us to other missionary examples like missionary biographies, which of course are great for missionaries, but are great for everybody. Men like Patton and Livingston and Hudson and Jim Elliott, who sacrificed everything to take the gospel to the nations. And then I think the Apostle Paul would say, and then you need some real life, concrete examples of men and women who are walking alongside you, doing life with you, pursuing Jesus with you. You need that in your life. And this is definitely true of all of us as Christians who are living in the West. Oh my goodness. Who are we being influenced by? We must ask ourselves that question. Some of us this morning might be struggling spiritually, struggling mightily. And in some ways, it may be as simple as this. What are you allowing yourself to be influenced by? You may just simply need to change what you're watching, what you're listening to, the friends that you are spending time with. Are you spending time with people who have different values, different ambitions, different goals than you? It will affect you. Or have you surrounded your people, yourself with people who love the Lord and love Jesus and are pursuing Him all out? If you have, it will affect you. It will affect you for good. And I would just encourage all of us, if you don't have friends like that, if you don't have a church like that, seek the Lord and pray for it until he grants it. And don't give up until you get it. Lord, give me friends. Give me others who love you that I can follow their example and they can follow mine so that we can become mature in Christ. The third word of wisdom and hope for gospel partners is one, pursue maturity. Two, follow good examples. Three, know who you are. Know who you are. Look there in verse 20 and 21 and we read these words. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now this, these are truly a couple of verses that could be an entire sermon or series of sermons. I promise you I will not deliver a series of sermons now on these two verses, but I do want to show you a few things from these verses. Paul is saying here in these verses to the Philippians, you got to know who you are. Are. Notice the contrast here between what Paul says in these verses and the people that he described earlier. Earlier in verse 19, he said that there are some who set their minds on earthly things. Now in verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Do you see the contrast? They have their mind on earthly things. That's all they see. That's all they live for is the here and now. Our citizenship 
is in heaven. Verse 18, they are enemies of the cross. But, verse 20, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. They have set themselves in opposition to the cross of Christ, but we love the cross of Christ, and we're waiting for Jesus to return. Verse 19, their end is destruction, but our future, verse 21, is filled with hope. Because Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Do you see the contrast? Paul is saying you got to know in contrast to the world and to those who might be influencing you in a negative way, you got to know who you are. And listen, this is so important because as important as good examples are, We will never follow those good examples unless we know who we are. I remember growing up, sometimes as a kid, encountering different things that were morally inappropriate or out of bounds. And my parents might give me various reasons why we shouldn't engage in those activities or I shouldn't do those things. But sometimes they would simply say, well, our family just doesn't do that, right? That's just something our family, we don't do that as a family. And there was a sense of identity there, right? We're the Daniels, we don't do that. Or you might say, we're the Smiths, or we're the Joneses, or whatever. We, we don't do that. And you see, unless you know who you are, that, that won't have any import on you because there's no connection. you got to first know who you are. you got to know who you belong to. you got to know who your daddy is. you got to know of what citizen you are Of what kingdom are you a citizen? And unless you know that, the examples that you have in your life, even the good ones, won't affect you. I lost my notes. So you got to know who you are. You got to know what kingdom you belong to. You got to know whose child you are. And so let me ask you this morning. Let me ask you, do you know who you belong to? Do you know where your citizenship lies? Is your mind set on earthly things like there is nothing to live for except this life and what other people think about you and what you can obtain in this life? Or do you live like you're waiting for a Savior who will come in glory and power And transform this world. Notice how subversive Paul's words are here. This is the other thing we should see. Notice how subversive his words are. Consider where Paul is writing this letter from. Paul is a Roman citizen. He is writing from the city of Rome. He is in prison under the jurisdiction of Caesar... And he is writing to another recognized, celebrated Roman colony or or city, Philippi. Philippi was actually a place where many Roman soldiers who retired would go and live there. It was a celebrated Roman city. And Paul writes, in that context, our citizenship is in heaven. Isn't that glorious? Roman citizenship was the most coveted citizenship in the day. Anyone would would 
would long to be a Roman citizen, much like American citizenship today. And Paul says here that there is a greater kingdom than Rome. There's a greater kingdom than America. It is the kingdom of God. And we are citizens of that kingdom. That's where our ultimate citizenship lies. And not only that, Paul goes on to say, from that kingdom, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not an accident. Caesar claimed to be Lord, to be curios. But Paul says here, this is deeply provocative and even political. There is a greater Lord than Caesar, the one true Lord, Jesus Christ. He is the true curios. And Paul goes on to say, his kingdom will truly restore peace and shalom on the earth. You know, during Paul's day, there was something known as the Pax Romana, which basically meant, it's Latin, and it means Roman peace. But Paul says here, he acknowledges that that peace that Rome brought to the world was only partial, it was only temporary, but the true Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, would bring true peace to the earth. He would transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In other words, Jesus died on the cross and Jesus was raised from the dead not only to redeem us from the spiritual consequences of sin, but to redeem this physical world from the consequences of sin. So that all things would be made new. So that all things would come under the peaceful rule and reign of the Lord Jesus as he restores all things by his power and his glory. Now Paul says, listen, this is who you are. Do you understand who you are? This is the kingdom you belong to. This is the Lord you serve. This is the hope and the future you have. And it is a hope and a future that is always filled with promise. Because you await a Savior who is to come. Now listen, that'll put steel in a church. And that'll put steel in a missionary's back. I hope it's encouraging to you, Kyle and Bethany. I know you are about to enter into an uncertain time. You're going to a city. You're going to be attending a school where you will not be a citizen. And you're not sure where you're going to be going after that. But you can be encouraged that no matter where you go and where you find yourself in this great big world, your citizenship is always in heaven. Your Lord is always the resurrected Christ. And your future is always full of hope and promise because you belong to Him. Isn't it glorious that Paul could sit in prison and be faithful to the gospel and he had no doubt who he was? No doubt. Caesar can do whatever he wants to to me. I await a Lord who is to come in a kingdom that is eternal. Therefore, my friends, we can entrust ourselves to him. And we can, as Paul says in verse 4, we can stand firm thus in the Lord. and Be faithful to him, even unto the end. These are Paul's words of wisdom and hope for gospel partners. Pursue maturity. Follow good examples. And know who you are.
Then finally, I just want to point out in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, what Paul has to say there. He says, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Now, the thing that just stands out in that verse is Paul's affection for the church in Philippi. I mean, he's just gushing, right? Do you see it? I pray, and this is something we can pray as a church, that God would enlarge our hearts to love people with this kind of just open-hearted affection. I'm not naturally like this. So God's got to work on me and he's got to work on us as a church. Just open-hearted affection and love. My brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy, my crown, those whom I love. You know, it's interesting because it's been probably about 12 years since the Apostle Paul planted the church in Philippi. And we know they didn't talk every day, right? It's a different world. And they couldn't call on the phone. There was no text messaging. There was no Facebook, no Skype, right? We assume it has been years and years since the Apostle Paul has seen the church in Philippi, and yet he still holds them close to his heart. They are partners in the gospel. Kyle and Bethany, Vancouver is a far place, right? It's a long ways away from here. And you don't know, as we mentioned before, where you will be going after that. It'll probably be further away. But we want you to know this morning, as we pray for you guys and commission you, that we love you and we are partners in the gospel. And as you come back over the years, I imagine that many of the faces in this room will be different. We live in a transient city and people come and they go and there'll probably be a lot of new faces as well. But we want you to know that as the Lord tarries and as he is faithful to us and allows us to continue to have a gospel ministry here, we love you guys and we intend to be gospel partners with you for many years to come. We praise God for you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together now, okay? Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for the Apostle Paul and for his life and for his ministry. We thank you for this word that he has given to each of us this morning and the way that it applies to each one of our lives in particular and specific ways. I pray, Lord, that you would take this word and apply it to our hearts. Lord, help us, help us to be faithful in our ambitions to follow Jesus and to be faithful to his mission. And Lord, as we commission the Hubbards now, Lord, we pray that you would encourage them. And we pray, Lord, that you would establish this gospel partnership for many years to come. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.